If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Oh my goodness, I love that theme song. You know, I walk around singing it all the time to myself. I catch myself singing it. It's the best. It's like probably the best thing about the podcast. And if you want, you can just go back and listen to it again because it's because so it's all cool. downhill from here. It's all downhill from here. Uh, anyway, I'm Keith, and I'm joined by uh, my good friends Jamal and Matt. And this is the Heretic Happy Hour. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. This is Jamal, author of uh, Free to Love. It's great to be with you. And this is Matt DiStefano. Happy to be here with my good friends, Jamal and Keith. And uh, today we have, a, a, I think, a back to our regularly scheduled program. Um, if, you, uh, if you listened to the last episode, you know that we interrupted what we were going to regularly talk, uh, what was going to be on our regular schedule. Um, and if you powered through that and all the uh, nasty, salty language, then you are <laughs> arriving here at episode five now, Discovering Christ in Non-Christian, and I put that in air quotes, Things. Um, but before we get into the meat of, uh, of our topic today, uh, we've got to introduce the Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. <laughs> and uh, this week, we're going to do things a little bit differently. We have, um, because we're going to have the, Reforma- the, an- the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation coming up right after this podcast uh, airs. Not sure how long, but right, right, right around there. This is the last podcast before that anniversary. We are going to do none other than Martin Luther. And we're also going to include in that, because we want to talk about something here, the Anabaptists. And I am going to have Keith tell you all about these folks. Well, all right. So, hey, uh, Heretic of the Week, Martin Luther. If you don't know who he is, I don't know what you're doing here, why you should be listening to this, because um, it's a pretty, I mean, most Christians know, at least, have heard of the Reformation. Uh, it's kind of how this whole Christian Protestant movement got started. Uh, but this guy, Martin Luther, if you think about it, at the time, you know, uh, the Christian church was the Catholic church for a long, long time. And uh, But this one guy, uh, Martin Luther, kind of wasn't, wasn't happy with the way things were going. He was upset, at a couple of things going on. Uh, and like a real heretic, I think I think I identify with him at least, and I think Jamal and Matt and I identify with Martin Luther at least in these areas where he's looking at the church um, that he was in, the Christian church he was a part of at the time, and he's seeing a lot of stuff that just really makes him angry because to him, this is not what matches, it doesn't line up with what he thinks the church should be like and what he sees in the scripture. So uh, one of those things is selling indulgences where basically uh, priests could— you know, hey, give me some money, and I'll pray a little magic prayer, and I'll get your loved ones out of hell. Um, so they were just kind of like, you know, uh, taking advantage of people. Uh, he didn't like that, of course. Um, he also wanted the uh, the scriptures to be translated into the common language, that, that just everybody could read the scriptures, not only the priests, so that the, the common person, you know, he didn't feel like it was right, um, that, you know, only the priests would be able to have access to the scriptures. He wanted everyone to have access to the scriptures. And so, you know, these are good things. And then there was a couple of other things he was upset about as well, just the way the church was organized and things like that. So, um, and he did, uh, you know, as like most whistleblowers, he did his best in the beginning to sort of like uh, raise this with his supervisors, if you will. Uh, they weren't having much of it, didn't like it, didn't think he had good ideas, did not want to reform the uh, the Catholic church or the Christian church at the time. 
And so he finally reached a point where he said, look, I, I can't handle this anymore. And he wrote 95 thesis, uh, which were basically his gripes and complaints and things that he felt like needed to change. And he nailed it to the door of the church uh, in Wittenberg. And um, and there you go. It was just basically this huge, awesome declaration, uh, a really amazing, you know, he, of course he was called a heretic because he was going against the popular church of the time, but he was doing it for what he thought was the right reasons. Now, um, many people, uh, myself included, uh, but also many people about uh, around that same time, even though they applauded uh, Martin Luther's, you know, the, his spirit and the idea of what he was doing, were a little bit uh, disappointed that he didn't really go uh, far enough. Uh, and so, because in other words, really what Luther did in his reformation of the church, he really kind of just sort of just in many ways, just uh, the structure of the church, let's say, kind of just changed the name. So like, hey, we don't want priests, but but we have pastors. And they kind of operate like priests. And they're still going to tell you what, the, even though we're going to give you the scriptures, they're still going to be the ones who are going to tell you what it means and what it says. Uh, so um, some of the people who didn't uh, agree with uh, Luther going far enough were uh, later on the work they came to be known as the Anabaptists. Um, and they were a group of people who felt like, hey, we need to go all the way into a full on New Testament model uh, where everyone uh, has the scriptures and can read it for themselves. Uh, we don't have any hierarchical structures. Uh, we're not going to be a part of the state church. Even if it's a Christian Protestant state church, we don't think that we should do that. Everyone should only be a Christian if they have come to know Christ as personal Lord and Savior, or whatever that means, right? They've, they've made a profession of faith, of personal faith and trust in Jesus. And uh, the Anabaptist movement was a very Jesus-centric movement. And as a result, here's the irony. Um, so, of course, Luther and the other Protestants were labeled heretics, and they were persecuted by the Catholics. But then the Protestants turned around and persecuted the Anabaptists because they also didn't, um, you know, line up with the Protestants. So you just had this, you know, domino effect of you're a heretic, you're a Protestant, you know, you're, you're, you're a heretic, we're going to persecute you. And then, then those people that are called heretics turn around and persecute uh, others as well. So it just kind of perpetuates and kind of it's been going on ever since. And it's not even, it's, it's not even 10 years later. Right, exactly. it's like 1527. Uh, yep. Was it Felix Manns under Zwingli? Uh, it's it's crazy. Like ten years later, uh, not even almost on the ten year anniversary, yeah. and you've got this the first martyr, martyr, martyr within Christian church. Yeah, you have a, a, a victim and victimizer both within the church. Unbel- I mean, it's unbel- It's just crazy. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, it is. It's very sad. Yeah, you know, and I, I've I've not never been a really huge fan of the Reformation, even though I, well, I mean, I guess I I, I drank the Kool Aid in Bible college when everybody talked about the reformers as if they saved the church or something. But I I think um, looking back on that uh, that whole period and then just realizing really what happened and what didn't happen, I think his intentions were good. I think he really had gripes, you know, and we have people like that today within the quote-unquote institutional Christian world that they love to call out the church for its problems and its hypocrisy and all that, but they they continue to prop up the same fundamental like framework. And I think that's what happened. My understanding of the Reformation is, although Luther meant well, that it's like he went into the living room and rearranged the furniture and then said, hey, what do you guys think of our new house? And it's like, actually, <laughs> it's the same house. It just has different furniture in different places. That. You change the terminology. But I, to me... Institutional Christendom, whether it be the Roman Catholic 
uh, machine before the Reformation or even the Protestant uh, sects after the Re- Reformation. It had v- both systems have very did ha- they they didn't at the time and they still don't have very much to do with Jesus or the way of Jesus is very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys shut up. <laughs> it's it's just funny that um, you know going back to this this cycle of heresy. It's just interesting. I know I brought it up before in an earlier podcast. It's like when Edward Fudge writes his book and everyone everyone shits on him cuz he's an annihilationist. <laughs> and and now it's it's kind of okay to be an annihilationist as long as you're not a universalist. Right. So it's just like it's just like the the culture kind of shifts or the yeah the, the, the religious subculture shifts to where like it, you're probably not right if you believe in annihilationism. You got to believe in ECT to be right. But at least you're like you're you're still a Christian. And I think even Mark Driscoll in the in the documentary Hellbound um, puts that dividing line in, and I think includes annihilationists that are a part of the United States. They might be in a different state, but uh, universalists are part of Canada, for instance. <laughs> right. So they're they're not even in the faith anymore. So it's just interesting that that th- that even even what's heresy within Protestantism has kind of shifted, and that was only thirty years ago. That was right when I was born, I think, in the in the early '80s when that book came out. Came out. And now, 30 years later, I mean, it's cool if you're an annihilationist. You're still a Christian. Hmm. Well, yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. Hey, can I, can I plug a book real quick before we Please. move on? Um, if anyone is interested in the topic of the Anabaptists, uh, there is a phenomenal book called The Reformers and Their Stepchildren. Uh, it's by a guy named Leonard Verdun. It's V-E-R-D-U-I-N. Excellent book. Um, the thing about the Anabaptists, too, is that like um, for the longest time— People were confused about the Anabaptists, and I've even still to this day run across sort of the misinformation about Anabaptists. Like, they were nonviolent, they were Jesus followers, um, trying to go back to a New Testament model, and but and they were killed, like they were persecuted and, and wiped out, pretty much. And But the people that wiped them out uh, then wrote the history, because they're the survivors, right? So they wrote these this history that basically said, oh, the Anabaptists were violent, <laughs> were a violent sect. That's how it goes. And it's it's so, yeah. you know, it's really sad. So anyway, th- this book that I'm talking about uh, is a, what they did was they finally translated the writings of some of the Anabaptists into English, and then it became something where scholars could really look at it and see what they really believed and what they really taught. Mm. And it's pretty phenomenal. Anyway, I recommend that book. That's awesome. Great, great book. Um, I don't, I don't know. Again, I don't want to like take us all too far off topic with this, but um, I don't know if we've mentioned this yet. Um, and, and we keep meaning to mention this. Uh, I, I, it's always on my mind, and I, for some reason, I don't think we mentioned this enough. But did you guys know that we have um, a heretic hotline? Did you guys know that? What? I, I think I think you said oh. that once, but oh, okay, in passing. Guys, we have a heretic hotline, and it's really important that the listeners know about it. Or else, we're not going to get we're not going to get any love on the heretic hotline, you know. So, but anyway, there is a heretic hotline. I'll actually read. We I have the number here. It's two four zero three heresy or two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. I'll repeat that. It's two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. And guys, and this is exciting. We have a text, a text that came in. To the to the heretic hotline, isn't that cool? Very cool. We can get text. Very cool. In addition to voicemail, I'm going to queue up the text real quick, and I'm going to read this. I'm going to queue it up real quick. Okay, here it is. All right, I'm going to read. This is from uh, a listener by the name of Ron Smith. So, Ron, thank you very much for this text. I'm going to read it right now. P. 
PSA, that stands for Penal Substitutionary Atonement, PSA posits that the Father loathes sin and sinners. We all, therefore, deserve ECT, which is eternal conscious torment. But it was always the Father's plan that Christ would bear all that punishment on the cross. Trinitarian understanding asserts that the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is indivisible. Hence, God was in Christ on that cross, so God paid the price himself. That being said, why then do people find it so offensive that God would be able that God would be able to just forgive sin without exacting torture? If he never intended to torture anyone but Jesus to pay for sin, is God a masochist? Why are we so invested in hell, in people like Hitler being unredeemable? I'm loving the podcast, guys. Ron Smith. Um, thank you for that, Ron. Um, but I would say before, before I, the first thing I want to say is I don't, I don't think he intended to torture Jesus. Um, so if he, the, the phrase, if he never intended to torture anyone but Jesus, I think if, if it were me, um, for my money, I would just, you can cross it out and full stop at torture anyone and not, Jesus was not an exception. He didn't, I don't think he intended to torture Jesus. And, and actually, how long ago was it when we had this podcast? This is, I mean, we had a podcast uh, a couple months ago before the Heretic Happy Hour was even uh, dreamt up. That's right. How long ago was that? Was it in? It, it was before summer, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that, that's what kind of gave birth to this whole crazy idea in the first place. We did a three-part series of right. podcasts, and you can find those on my blog, Matt's blog, or Jamal's blog. Uh, we published all three of those, uh, and it was so much fun. We thought, hey, let's do this more often. Right. But but those are all about the the the, the topic of all three of those podcasts was all about um, penal substitutionary atonement theory. We also got into uh, Rene Girard, uh, mimetic theory. Uh, we got into Christus Victor theory. So anyway, yeah, if you're curious about that, Ron, or anyone else listening, uh, go look those up because they're pretty pretty cool, and you should check them out. Penal substitution just sounds seriously painful. Doesn't it? It just sounds wrong. I would try to avoid that at all costs, yes. <laughs> right, I, I, yeah. <laughs> Never substitute your penis for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so thank you, Ron. If you want to text, if you want to call, um, we have mentioned it now the po- that we have a heretic hotline. Glad we introduced that, Jamal. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, but let's get let's get into the uh, let's get into the meat of this. Um, discovering Christ in non-Christian things. What what do we mean by that? I mean, what what are we talking about? Well, what are we talking about when discovering Christ, and what are we talking about non-Christian things? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, are we are we uh, talking about going out? It's, to me, it sounds like like some hippie shit, like like we're gonna go on a we're gonna go on a walk and find God in nature. Yeah, yeah. But um, um, but there there must be some truth to that, right? Like uh, Jesus was constantly out in the wilderness, and it's just you know things. You know, Jesus went out to pray in the wilderness, and this is what he prayed. And it's like, well, he was alone. I don't know, but the point being, like, he's out amongst nature he's out is that what we're talking about is that where we find god um could we find god in different religions oh oh my goodness (laughs) that 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 thing is that's brilliant i love that well i think i think uh we we definitely should talk about the fact that there i think it's cool to to look at jesus the teachings of jesus or to find uh, some of the teachings of Jesus 
in other religions. And what I mean by that is it's not like other I don't mean that relig- other religions have said, hey, we like this Jesus guy, let's, let's co-opt some of his teaching. It's actually, um, the fascinating thing is that a lot of the other religions, like Buddhism and um, you know, we can get into some of this other stuff, even even like philosophy, like Socrates and Plato, where um, they actually contain a lot of things that Jesus would have been like really cool with, you know. And like, in fact, you could almost play a game where you could read some quotes and say, "Okay, is this Jesus, or was this? Uh, does this come from Buddhism, or does this come from Islam, or does this come right. from uh, Plato or Socrates, right. or et cetera? So. Uh, I think that's more of what we're talking about, right? Right. Uh, I, I, either or, and both and, maybe. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So what, what, do you want to jump into? I, I just was going to point out um, a little bit on Islam, and I know, Jamal, you could probably talk about some of this too, but like, um, I just came across this kind of accidentally, some some people in our house church, uh, we started started inviting some Muslims, like full-on, you know, from the, from Jordan and Saudi Arabia and Iraq and things like that who were coming to school here in um, Orange County, going to Irvine or Cal State Fullerton or things like that. And they were in the language program uh, learning English. And um, so some of the people in our house church were instructors at those universities and would invite some people that were curious, some of the students who were just showing some interest in Christianity, uh, over to our house church. And so we had them come and hang out with us, which is pretty amazing to have, like, you know, we we had our regular meeting with Muslims uh, with us. We worshiped with them and we ate with them and hung out with them. And it was so very cool. And one of the coolest things that happened was um, this young man, Muhammad, uh, who's from uh, Iran, and uh, he uh, wanted to he wanted to hear more about Jesus from our perspective because uh, in Islam, in in uh, the Muslim religion, in the Quran, they they talk about Jesus as well. There's a whole thing about Isa. They call him Isa. Right. And um, right. so he knew. Jesus from his perspective, but he didn't know it from our perspective. So we had lunch with him, and we kind of unpacked Jesus, you know, from how we know him. And then he turned around and blew our minds with, like, all the stuff about Jesus that's in uh, the Quran. And so, like, for example, um, in the Quran, chapter 3, verses 45 to 55, there are nine things that the Quran says about Jesus. And I'm just going to read this list. And, and this is amazing, because nothing in this list any Christian would disagree with. Uh, so from the Quran, uh, the Quran teaches that Jesus is the Word of God, Jesus is the Spirit of God, mm. Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ, uh, Jesus creates life, Jesus cures a man who was born blind, Jesus cures a man with leprosy, Jesus gives life to people who were dead, uh, then Jesus goes to heaven, Jesus is alive right now today, and Jesus is coming back to judge the world. Now, Here's the thing about that that's always been crazy to me, because I hear all the time on Facebook, like a lot of Christians, like, oh, Islam is a nation of death, and they're all, all Muslims want to kill us, and they're all, you know, blah, 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 and then there's all this hate towards Muslims, and it, like, first of all, you never met one. Second of all, uh, I, I don't get how you can be a Christian, and I get if you're just ignorant, but like, but, but once I tell you what I just told you, if I say, did you know that Muslims believe all this stuff, or at least the Quran teaches all this stuff about Jesus that you and I agree with. What an amazing um, common ground, right? Like, how awesome would it be to start from that place? Like, what if I said your neighbor next door believes all this stuff about Jesus already? Mm. Now let's go talk to him about Jesus. Whoa, that's awesome, right? That's much easier than, like, he doesn't believe in Jesus at all, uh, you know? So I, I just think it's fascinating to me to, to, for people to, to know that. It was amazing for me to learn that. And then it changes the way I 
perceive Muslims, you know? Mm. I don't see them as an enemy. I kind of see them as people at least that we have some agreement, some common ground on some things. Yeah, you know, um, you know, as a child, I was raised, uh, you know, with a, a Muslim background and, you know, went to the mosque as a child and learned, you know, the, the, the tenets of Islam. Um, and, you know, when I got older and got into more evangelical Christianity, later on, the more and more I got into it, there, there are a lot of similarities. And I wouldn't say this is a in this aspect is what I would consider a positive thing, but the religion of Islam, you know, and the religion of Christianity really have some differences. I mean, evangelical Christianity specifically are very much alike. There's a lot of similarities between uh, evangelical Christianity and, and Sunni Islam in the sense of uh, that, you know, judgment and fear, hell is a major motivation um, in both religions um, both revere Jesus um, in many ways. Um, both think Jesus is going to come back and murder most of the world. Both religions teach that. Um, very similar things in that aspect of it. Um, and then, of course, if you, uh, I would, you know, Shia Islam is more similar to Roman Catholicism. You know, veneration of certain um, certain figures, saints. They have, you know, they're more of the folks that would. Um, have veneration of saints and shrines to certain people other than Muhammad, you know, so they're more similar in that way, but they very much fear-based, very much judgment-based, um, that kind of thing. Now, here's what I find interesting about Islam is that there's a, there's a offshoot of Islam. Uh, it's not, I mean, they would consider themselves Muslims, but it's, it, there's the Sufis. And if you know anything about the Sufis, uh, they're a very interesting group of people. The Sufis, you, if you talk to a Sufi, you think you're talking to, uh, I mean, you, you hear language like the God within, conversation with, um, you know, God, you know, they would call it, obviously call him Allah, but like Allah who lives on the in, inside of you and that you can have a personal relationship with God from the inside. They talk about love, a lot about love. And uh, the, the, some of the most, there's a really a lot of beautiful poets that come from the Su- Sufi uh, tradition and background. Um, very, I mean, it sounds a lot like Paul, you know, when Paul talked about, this is the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, they would use almost the exact, they have a same revelation. I don't think they would use exactly that language, but it's this reality of an internal kingdom, which is very much along the lines of what Jesus taught and about the way about the kingdom of God was within you. The Sufis talk a lot about loving your neighbors and loving people. And, you know, it's just really interesting. Like a lot of us have heard of Rumi. Rumi is a Sufi poet. It's exactly, you read some of Rumi's writings. I mean, this is beautiful. It's like straight out of the New Testament uh, understanding of of reality and of the way of right. Jesus. So beautiful right. stuff. Yeah, it's just going back to um, these similarities. Uh, I'll shift gears a little bit and talk about um, Buddhism. Um, and how and how Jesus uh, the sp- like the spirit of Jesus what Jesus was teaching in the New Testament even going back to the Old Testament prophets too um, that there's some similarities and especially uh, with the way that I interpret um, the gospel and and the Bible um, in this move away from uh, from sacrifice from human sacrifice from animal sacrifice to a completely subversive way of understanding the gospel as the like antithesis of the common archaic sacrifice. Um, if we if we go to like if we say you know if we say that Jesus is is a sacrifice that God put forth and that we the angry ones are the ones that sacrifice you know it has this anti-sacrificial um, undertones here. And if we go to the Buddha. 
um, he denounced animal sacrifices um, and said that people who do this, they, they have negative karma before, before they even make the sacrifice and that this, the only sacrifice and the only burnt offerings were to, uh, to, uh, to offer is this fire within us, going back to this, like this, that there's this spark of the divine within us, that we, um, that we are a living sacrifice. Even the New Testament it has that language that we're, it's not a dead sacrifice, it's a living sacrifice. And, and to see those similarities between Jesus and the New Testament writers and how I would say uh, I understand Paul, um, and, and the Buddha being anti-sacrificial in the, in the um, you know, the death-dealing traditional quote-unquote way of understanding sacrifices. I just find that interesting. Um, I especially was, you know, when my, my friend's Buddhist, and uh, I, once I started studying mimetic theory, I wanted to know, I was like, okay, all these, all these different faith traditions seem to have these same things that they're saying, you know? Mm. And I was, I was interested. I was like, I wonder what the Buddha, if, if he ever um, addressed the, the practice of sacrifice and, and consistently on uh, numerous occasions in the writings, he's quite anti-sacrificial, which I find fascinating. That is very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and there's, and there's someone's done, uh, I remember I took a class in college on uh, philosophy of religion, and we, I was a philosophy minor, so we had to cover all that. And then we, I remember the, the section on Buddha, on Buddhism, and they, they pointed out, like, all the similarities of some of the teachings of Buddha and the, and the teachings of Jesus. And they are pretty cool when you think about it, because when you look at them, like, uh, you know, Buddha taught that you should consider others uh, as yourself. And Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. You know, Buddha says, if anyone should strike you with his hand or with a stick or with a knife, you should abandon any, any desires and utter no evil words. Mm. Right? That's similar to Jesus saying turn the other cheek. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buddha says, um, if you do not tend to one another, then who is going to tend to you? Whoever would tend to me uh, would tend to the sick, which is crazy because like that's, think about that. So Buddha says, uh, whatever, who, if you want to tend to me, Buddha says, take care of the sick. And that, that is very similar to Jesus saying, whatever you do to the least of these, right. you've done it unto me, right? <clears throat> so there's a whole bunch of other ones. I don't want to read all of them. But if you start, if you just look at it, there is actually a whole lot of, of correlation between many of the teachings of the Buddha and Jesus. And it's actually one of the reasons why there's this wonky teaching. I don't subscribe to this. I think it's nonsense. But, but there is this teaching that the quote-unquote missing years of Jesus between the time he was in the manger and he went to Egypt with his mom and dad, uh, and then he shows up as a, you know, a 30-year-old man uh, in the ministry, that, um, that basically there were these missing years where he was 15 and he traveled— uh, and and basically studied under Buddha or something like that. Uh, I, I think that's nonsense. But I but the 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 idea of that though is supported. What supports that theory is the fact that there are correlations between some of the teachings of Buddha and some of the teachings of Jesus. Um, and so then I think we'd have to ask. All right, so it's either that Jesus really did just say, "See you, mom and dad. I'm 15 years old, but I'm going to run away from my home and go to this crazy place." Uh, how would I even have heard about it, right? There's no internet. There's no newspaper. How did I know that if I go in this direction for uh, 2,000 miles, I'm going to run into this bald guy named Buddha <laughs> under a tree, and he's going to tell me all this cool stuff. Anyway, <laughs> but if that didn't happen, if that didn't happen, then then why are there correlations, right? Like, don't we have to say if we believe in, in a God, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we believe in truth, is it possible that God maybe spoke some of these same truths that he would later speak through Jesus to through Buddha? 
Yeah. I was waiting for a heresy there. Where was the heresy? I was too. <laughs> Thank you. That is Harrison. Well, well, I would like, you know, here's a, here's something, you know, and I, again, that's, it's really interesting to bring up that point, uh, Keith, about Jesus and maybe learning from Buddha, because I actually have something I want to share about that. But uh, aside from that, for a second, I think it's really interesting because I've always had this thought, especially as an evang- a former evangelical, you know, uh, I remember in Bible college, like I, I would, I would you, know, you know, read my Bible faithfully and regularly, and I would read the Gospels. And in the Gospels, you know, you see this phrase mentioned a lot, the Gospel of the Kingdom, this kind of thing. Jesus proclaimed the Gospel of the Kingdom. And I was like, well, wait a minute, what is that Gospel? Because the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus had not occurred yet. So I'm like, well, because the evangelical Gospel is... Hey, you know, you're a sinner and you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day. You need to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And that's the message. That's the message. And that's what's become known as the evangelical gospel. But I just start to read. I was like, wait a minute. Well, what, what was Jesus talking about before any of that happened? And he was talking about his central message. Like his central message was this idea of the kingdom. And I started to think about that. I was like, wow, what is that? And then, of course, that's the way. And the earliest disciples, the earliest Christians were called followers of the way. And I think that's what you guys are talking about, is that there's this transcendent way that we associate with Jesus. But that, to me, was Jesus' message to the world, the good news to the world that he proclaimed was about this transcendent reality in this transcendent way. It's a way of literally experiencing heaven on earth right now. And this heaven on earth is in our midst. It's even within us. This is the message yes. of Jesus. And that is not unique to Jesus. It's unique to Jesus in the Jewish context. I think he introduced it into the Jewish context. Mm-hmm. But here, here I want to just mention this. And again, this is controversial and could be considered heretical. But I've actually uh, done some research into this because there's a guy who I really like. His name is uh, Yogananda, and some of you guys may have heard of him. I mean, he's anathema in Christian circles, but he is um, he's a yogi. He's actually the reason we have heard of – he introduced the concept of yoga to the, to the West. He came to the United States from India in the, in the early 20th century and literally introduced – no one had ever heard of yoga. He introduced this – you know, he's a teacher, but he – there's a book I'm reading by him. It's called The Yoga of Jesus. It's a fascinating book, and he explores the the teachings of Jesus and the way of Jesus, but outside of the Christian concept. So it's like you're hearing things from an Eastern perspective, and it's really helpful sometimes to hear about Jesus and the teachings of Jesus outside the Christian tradition, because I really think the Christian tradition really doesn't get Jesus at all, and doesn't get his message at all. This this is something that um, I think warrants looking into a little bit more. But in the early 20th century, there were some Russian uh, excavators that went through um, Tibet, the Himalayan areas, and uncovered uh, some documents from the uh, right around the time of Jesus. You know, like we're talking about, you know, you know, literally like between you know uh, 100 AD or 200 AD, that kind of thing. And it had it was like these writings in some of these Tibetan uh, temples. Um, that talked about a visiting, that there was a, this road, obviously there was this road from the Mediterranean that went to the east. Obviously, we know there were connections between, we had the Magi, the guys from India, and, and, uh, or, 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 or you know, that region that visited Jesus on his birth. So there was a connection, but the idea was that Jesus, that there was this uncle, like uh, he had this rich uncle, Joseph, some people think it was Joseph of Arimathea, that would travel for business and went. So we don't hear a lot about Jesus between... 12 years old and 30. So the idea is that he traveled to the East and learned from these folks. And what they uncovered in 
some of these Tibetan temples is that there was, and this is documented, like they actually found these writings and they're authenticated from that time period. They talked about a visit from somebody who was, who was, who, who was known to be a king. They said the universe, the, the, the wisdom of the universe lived in a man who they called Isa. They spelled it I-S-S-A or something like that. Uh, it was transliterated that way from Israel who traveled, uh, who was a king of his people, and he learned from some of these uh, these yogis and these 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 spiritual folks in in Tibet, and took some of that stuff back with him. That's interesting to me. Yeah, I thought that was debunked, but either way, I did. I've yeah, never heard. I it read that too. I I had also. I mean, who debunked it? Oh, yeah. Like who debunked it? I, I I don't recall. I'm sorry. I think it was uh, Bob Larson. Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's an old joke. If you know who Bob Larson is, then God bless you. That's great. <laughs> I do know who Bob Larson is. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can I uh, I'll transition a little bit on that? Um, uh, I, I want to talk a little about Sikhism as well. Um, this is something that's kind of uh, not a lot of people know what Sikhism is. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about it. But um, again, just one of these things where in my experience, I, I met a guy who was a Sikh. And by the way, the Sikhs are the ones when you see these guys... Uh, typically men with beards, and they have those kind of the typical turban that, that's wrapped around their head, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the and this unfortunate thing is a lot of ignorant uh, Americans uh, assume that those guys are, are, are uh, Muslims uh, because they're Middle Eastern and they're wearing a turban, and then that's what they look like on Bugs Bunny, so obviously he must be a Muslim. Um, but they're not. They're, they're Sikhs, and so and they're not, they're not uh, I don't think they're even related to Islam at all. But I think they're actually a sect of uh, of Buddhism. If I'm, I may I may be off on that again. Like I'm not. I no, I think I think they're I think they're in. Oh no, that's Baha'i. I'm thinking of Baha'i. Sorry. But no, the, some, here's some cool things about Sikhism. That again, uh, again, they're not going to be 100. Uh, percent There's not an overlap completely with Christianity. But but a lot of the things they teach are really cool. So um, so example, let me see here. They uh, they teach uh, that we should pray daily. Um, they, uh, they believe that personal worship can be done in any place at any time. God resides in everything and everyone. So like Jesus said, right, you don't pray on this mountain or in this holy place. But, you know, God is everywhere. Right. God lives within. The kingdom of God's within. Right. Uh, they also talk about, um, the, the, sorry, the, the three pillars of Sikhism are, A, or one, remember God at all times, which includes being thankful to God for what you've been given. Uh, two, to live your life honestly and with integrity. And uh, three, sharing what you have with those less less fortunate. And again, if someone is living as a faithful Sikh, by the way, the other thing about Sikhs as well is that they don't condemn other people. Uh, they're a very peaceful religion. Um, and, and so, like, it really, the, if you get to know someone who, who's a Sikh, or if you if you look into Sikhism, uh, it's actually a very affirming, peaceful religion that's very tolerant of other religions and again does share some things with christians that we have some common ground with them which i think is pretty cool um what we see in christianity kind of is similar to what we see in 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 the other traditions so for instance we have on the one end we have the real mystical christians um and then we have the really uber fundamentalist christians or you have the really um peace oriented christians and then you have the christians who um are very quick to use violence in the name of god right um, what's interesting is that, is that like, for instance, when Gandhi, um, Gandhi was a Hindu and he was killed by another Hindu. So it's, it's, yeah. it's odd that there's this, it, it, not odd. It's interesting that there's this spectrum that, that we see, you know, and I'm, and I, 
in the the Buddha, Buddhists right now are, um, you know, persecuting Muslims, right? And and and, and the, you know the Dalai Lama comes out, I believe, and said that Buddha would not do that. So we have um, the 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 folks who are on the side of the mystical understanding, the union of the divine and the creation that God is running through each and every one of us and all things at all times, those folks t- on that side tend to line up with what Jesus was saying. And then there's the folks on, in, within those traditions who were on the other side who would talk about like, well, all of us might be children of God or all might not, but God hates some and God loves others. Or God is for us and God is against th- them. And it's interesting that there's, this, um, there's these two sides but one side does look like Jesus and the language might not be correct, quote unquote, or it might not be yeah. the same, but the fundamental like building blocks of reality, the nature of the divine and the relationship between the divine and the creation, there does seem to be this common thread and this common way of talking about the universe um, that runs through all the faith traditions. Yeah. And you know, I, I yeah. think, I think that's it. Br- this conversation brings up an opportunity to go, okay, is there something like there's something deeply? I, I remember when I first started to hear some of these things, I, it, it kind of offended me a little bit, and I was like, "Wait a minute! I want Jesus to be the originator. Jesus, the two thousand year old man from Palestine. I want him to be the originator of anything good in the world. And if he didn't say it, then it must not be." But you start to realize, actually, Jesus was. I mean, I think there were things uniquely about Jesus that were tro- totally unique than any other you know teacher that came along. I think there was there was something really tremendously beautiful about him. I don't want to get away. And that's probably a different conversation. But I think the beautiful thing is that this way, again, I I think that Jesus was not interested in, in, and he was not ego, appealing to ego. He's not looking to build a religion around his 2,000-year-old personhood. He's actually pointing to a transcendent way that's timeless, that's ancient, that goes way before him and after him. Um, Because again, we're talking about the Christ, the Christ consciousness, the reality of Christ, which is eternal. And that's what I think we're talking about with this way. This way can be found, it runs in the fabric of everything. It doesn't have a tribe. It doesn't have a sect. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to. And I think he's a, a revelation of what the Christ is in a very full way in a human being, but he doesn't point. I think he points beyond him, his himself in some ways, and that's controversial. I get it, but he points to this transcendent way. Yeah, and that way. What's interesting? What's interesting is that we see a part of those ways throughout his teaching, but especially in in Matthew twenty five thirty one through forty six, and that's that whole sheep and the goats um, teaching. What what's where where a lot it's it's interesting we we go to that passage in Christianity, and then we talk about see that's proof that people go to heaven and people go to hell. Yeah. But what if you really read that? It's not those who have this so-called faith in the right God, or the so-called correct language or theology, or those who would even call themselves yeah or theology. The people who wouldn't even consider themselves Christian. It's those people who don't feed the poor, who don't help out the sick, and, and who are doing it to the least of these, which is also doing it to Jesus. Those are the, those are the baby goats who are on his left. I, I, yeah, the left. And it's those who don't even know that they're doing these things for Jesus who are on the right or who are in, and they, they're, the ones, um, they're the ones who are given uh, eternal life. And 
like, so my, my point in reading though, that is always, well, if you're going to believe in hell, it's those with the so-called correct Christian belief who end up there. Oh, what's that? <laughs> I think you dropped a bomb. <laughs> um, you threw me off track with that now. I, um, but it, it is this way of being that we, we, uh, we are, we are going to be directed toward the other, toward the least of these, toward the suffering. And that is the way of being a true human. It does not matter what your correct theology you think is correct theology or necessarily your language about Jesus it's, it's yep. this way of Jesus. Are you practicing it and living it out or are you not? You can have the correct language and be a baby goat. You can have the incorrect language, not even know what the hell you're doing, but you're doing it for the least of these and you're doing it in love. And now yes. you're the ones who have experienced life and have found life yeah. eternal. Yeah, amen. There's, there's surprise on both sides of that, of, the, of those, the, the left and the right, the people when Jesus separates right. them from the left and the right. There's just as much surprise on the side of those going, wait, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're not in. As there is on the other side going, wait a minute, what? We're in? Well, we didn't even worship you. Like, who are you? When did we do that? Right. You know, we didn't mean to do, we, we, we didn't mean to do that. That we didn't, we didn't do that because we thought we were doing it to Jesus. We just did it because, you know, so the litmus test really is love. And, the, and I would say the theology of Jesus is love. And, and I think if you study that, it's actually incredibly, um, I think it should make a lot of people, a lot of fundamentalists very nervous how much Jesus talks about love and how he boils the whole thing down to the greatest commandment is love God, and the second one is like the first, love your neighbors yourself. And, I, and the command I give you is love one another the way I have demonstrated my love to you. Like, love is it. The whole thing in Matthew 25 is simply, did you show love and compassion to your fellow man or you didn't love them? And, and right. love is the litmus test. Love is the theology. And, and it's like Jesus wasn't interested and I like Buddha and like many other fate leaders of uh, people that ended up later on inspiring or, you know, um, religions. Jesus didn't start a religion. He didn't show up to start an, a religion. He showed up to teach people how to connect with the divine. Ooh. And he taught us that God was love. Right. And that the way we uh, show the character of the Father is to love. And if we love, then he's alive in us. Like, holy moly, are you kidding me? Like, that's so profound and so non-religious, mm. which is why they killed him. Yeah. So basically, they're like they're interested in us knowing that we're free to love. You guys get that? Okay. Anyway. Oh my god. I I to, I totally I totally agree with that, Keith. I think that's um a really good point. And I think it's like you said, fundamentalists should be nervous about that because when 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 we understand that this is all centered around love and about loving, obviously like we are manifesting God's presence on the earth, you know, the whole point of humanity is to be the image and likeness of the divine. So when we love other people, we're literally manifesting the nature of God. It's really, you can't build a nation around that, a nation state. You can't build a, um, a religion, a company, a corporation. You can't, you can't control people with that message. So that's why that message of love and about the nature of how we're operating, if it's, because it goes back down to the essence of what we're living you can't build an empire with that. And I, don't, I really don't think Jesus was interested in building an empire again, like we said. It's, Hell no. It's, it's not about that at all. And that will make, if, if, you, if your identity is wrapped up on what chair you're sitting in, what seat you're sitting in, what authority you have over other people, this message is going to be, it's, gonna, it's like literally cutting off the legs of your throne. 
and it's dangerous. And I, honestly, I, I, that's why this message is so opposed by this. It, and it's not always even consciously opposed. It's like, it'd be easier if we could just, you know, you know, figure out like who's in and who's out and what's the correct belief and what's the incorrect belief and, you know, who sits on the chair of Peter and, and, and what does canon law say and how do we run this and how do we make decisions here? And it's that all of that is easy to focus on. Yeah. And you know, man, here's the thing. If Jesus says that the greatest command is to love God and love others and his, his greatest command to us is to love, love one another as he's loved us, then the, the greatest heresy is failure to love. Yeah. Right. And that's real heresy, right? If we're following Jesus and his his main message is I want you to love one love God and love one another the way I've loved you. Then the only really true heresy in my mind is if you fail to do that. If you're not loving. And I, and then what I what drives me crazy, we may have already talked about this once before, but it's this idea that uh, oh, but brother, I love those people. That's why I'm standing there holding a sign that says they're all going to burn in hell forever because I love them. And I'm telling them that they're, you know, they're an abomination to God because they're gay and God hates fags. And that's, I'm telling them that because I love them. No, that's not love. That's not love the way Jesus is talking about it, right? Like, again, if, if you want to know if you're loving people the way Jesus wanted you to love people, uh, just ask the person if they feel loved. And if they don't feel loved, then you're not doing it right. You're yeah, not and, loving. And speaking of somebody who doesn't feel loved, I do have a joke I'd like to tell. Is that okay? Can I introduce a, a joke? Sure. Why not? Okay. Well, there was <clears throat> there was a string who walked into a bar. He was thirsty, and he, he wanted something to drink. So he's like, uh, I'll take a beer. And the bartender was like, I'm sorry, we don't serve strings here. And the guy's like, what? He's like, yeah, we don't serve strings here. You need you need to find another establishment. So the string is you know really upset and feels like, gosh, you know, it's that us versus them mentality. It's like I'm single. I'm not the I don't look the right way. I don't you know. It's all that thing. So the string goes and like starts commiserating with his buddies and like, man, they won't serve me beer. And can you believe that? Like it's 2017 and I can't get a beer in this place. And so this, the, the other guys are talking to the other strings. There's this, there's this group of strings and they're like all talking to each other. Like, man, we, we hold people's boots and shoes together. Like, I don't, they don't really understand the role we play here. So they're like, well, let's, let's do something. You know, we really want to get a beer. So I'll tell you what you climb on my shoulders We'll put a trench coat around this so we'll look really tall. I'm going to ruffle up my hair a lot, and then he'll never recognize he'll never recognize you. So we'll just you know we're going to do that. So they you know that's what they did. They climbed on his shoulders, put a trench coat around him, ruffled up his hair, and he walks back in the bar. And he's like, the bartender's like, yeah, can I help you? He's like, yeah, I'd like a beer. He and the bartender's like staring at him really closely. He goes, wait a minute, um, aren't you that string? Aren't you that string that was just in here? And uh, the string looks back at the bartender and goes, nope, I'm afraid not. Uh, all that for that punchline? Jeez. Oh, gosh. God. And with that, the podcast comes to a close. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming. We appreciate you listening. Oh, my gosh. We probably should just wrap this up. I, I don't know that I can go on. That, that, was, uh, that was a showstopper. That was well, a but see this, I do love I do love this topic and uh yeah and you know we probably in the time we have left we can't go into it too much but maybe we'll do another one down the road but I I love the idea of even finding God and finding Jesus in you know in art in nature in films and music and books and and the crazy thing is I usually I would say almost exclusively find it 
from sources where the person isn't a Christian. You know, like the the person creating the art or writing the book or uh, or creating writing the song or whatever or directing the film. Um, you know, it does they don't intend? They're not trying to like slip in some kind of. Uh, you know, left behind kind of yeah. Christian knees message or something, or God is not dead or uh, something. Bullshit. Uh, yeah, when you, <laughs> but when you actually experience something like that, like like uh, you know, I know Jamal and I both love Terrence Malick. Like Tree of Life is another example. Like, gosh, man, what a beautiful film! And there's so much of God in that movie. Um, you know, and even just you know, I, I can name other stuff too. Like, it's so cool to when you when you hear just truth, you know, and it's the same with these religions we're talking about where don't reject it just because, well, it's not in the Bible, brother, <laughs> and it didn't come from a Christian, you know, source. Like, no, if it's truth, embrace it. Like, it's it's true. Such a good point. It's a beautiful thing. And it is right. so yeah. true. The truth of the gospel is breaking out in every dim- dimension, in every direction. It doesn't matter that the language is not always um, orthodox necessarily. Good gosh. I mean, as if, as if the spirit of peace and forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, as if she is going to be bound up by the correct language. No, no, no. It's much bigger than that. Yeah. So good. Yeah. yeah. So you guys ready to wrap this thing up? I think so. I think, we, uh, I, I think we're pretty – I think we said what we need to yeah, say. Yeah, and, and I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but um, in case we didn't, um, there is a hotline. There's a Heretic hot- hotline. We'd love to get your comments, feedback criticism no way. Um, curses or even just you know lavish over the top love messages like whatever it is that you want to say we'd love to hear it yes. Yes. we like those 240-3-HERESY 240-343-7379 hit us up alright bye guys love you.